episode of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Kavana, joined as always by David Smith. It's a bonus special edition because it's all dedicated to the championship race for the Cup Series. We are going deep on each one of the four championship contenders and breaking down what matters most at Phoenix Raceway. This will be the most comprehensive and best preview you will listen to before Sunday's race. I can assure you of that. David, I'm excited. A little sad because it's the end of the season, but this is why we do the podcast. This is why we go so in-depth and really analyze all of this to figure out who may be the champion at the end of Sunday's race in Phoenix. So let's start at the top, David. Kyle Larson, nine wins this season, the fastest, the winningest team in NASCAR Cup Series. Does this matter now? Because last week we saw Kyle Larson get off to a good start at Martinsville, uh, where maybe we didn't expect him to. But then that speed kind of dipped down a little bit. It was a set, it was a similar 750 horsepower track to Phoenix. Uh, should Larson fans be concerned, despite of all the success this year? Hmm. Maybe they they should be on alert. I'll say that because the the car ranked seventh in median lap time last week at Martinsville, and look, he's made no apologies in the past about that track being his worst racetrack, and. They were already locked in. I get all of that. If he ranks seventh in that category this weekend, that's that's plenty good relative to the field, but I don't think it's good enough for the championship four. Hmm. I spent a lot of time talking with him kind of about this scenario uh, while I was in Talladega, uh, specifically about the Phoenix spring race. And in that race, he passed seemingly at will uh he had to mount comebacks after two or three penalties the passing isn't that that's, that doesn't shock me he passes a lot efficiently every single race he's been doing that what was missing though was race winning speed they ranked fifth in median time and it was a distant fifth uh trailing the likes of denny hamlin and martin truex hmm. he seemed to think that the car was fine but he acknowledged that the execution was lacking and that they still needed a little something more, a little something extra, especially if you're going to you know, compete for a championship. But can he get that something more? I don't know. I do know if they go out and they smash the field this weekend that most fans would see that and on the surface and they wouldn't you know, expect anything else. It was CC told you he was the best all year, but that kind of observation would discount what would have to have been a monumental effort by Cliff Daniels and the rest of this Hendrick team just to get it to that point. For Larson to do Larson things at Phoenix, which is a track he actually does have a good history at, based on what we saw in the spring, it's going to require a lot of work Monday through Thursday when Larson's fans weren't watching. And I, I was going to bring this up a little bit later, but you mentioned that monumental effort. This week on Sirius Radio, I called Martinsville, David, the best Hendrick performance of the year, specifically for that reason. The monumental effort they had to put in, they must have had put in, because when I look back at the spring, the Hendrick cars led, I think, nine total laps. 
Last Sunday, they led 375, I believe. And what I'm getting at is there was a monumental effort somewhere in the between those two races to improve at a track that was something uh, of a weakness, at least in the spring, where they didn't perform clearly like they wanted to. What if, David, what if that monumental effort is also there for Phoenix? This is what's going through my head. I'm just telling you how I'm thinking right now. That gave me hope that there could be a big turnaround for Phoenix as well. Are you buying anything of what I'm selling? <laughs> no, I am. Because, I mean, it, when when you get into a point in the season, gosh, at what point were all four of their drivers, it would have been Coda with, with Chase Elliott's win, all four of their drivers were locked in the playoffs. Mm. At that point, if you're really buckling down and focusing on 550 mile and a half tracks or, or some of these two mile tracks, which I, I don't know that they were, but if that's your focus, then your your thinking is askew because if you're locked in the playoffs, then all of a sudden your goal is different. You're, the the chances of you winning a championship might be different across the board. Kyle Larson had a better chance of winning a championship than Alex Bowman, but you want to give it that best effort. And it appears that that best effort happened for Hendrick Motorsports last week at Martinsville. So I'm certain that they weren't sitting on their thumbs all year. And especially earlier this year with Kyle Larson, I asked Cliff Daniels about this and it was at a point where everything was so new and he just wanted, he didn't prioritize any tracks over others. He just wanted to get a baseline set of notes with Kyle Larson to build on for the future because Cliff Daniels thought when they signed Kyle Larson, he would have a driver to compete for championships in the future. Little did he know it's right now. So at some point there would have had to have been a pivot and for Larson fans, I hope at least for their sake, that he's a little bit more competitive than he's shown at some of these 750 tracks, that the execution is there because, by the way, he still got caught uh, for pit road speeding at Martinsville, and that focus is locked in because if not, he's competing against three sharks in this race that are going to take advantage of that. So you'd like to hope at some point the focus was turned on the bigger task at hand all the while he's accumulated nine victories. Um, a man, Larry Mack, pointed out, David, uh, two speeding penalties for Kyle Larson at Martinsville. He had six total on the year. Uh, two of the remaining four, guess where they happened? Uh, Phoenix. Phoenix Raceway earlier this year. Just something to think about because that could, I mean, it could be a one little thing that uh, costs him a title uh, would you consider, I don't know if I'd consider that a vulnerability, but where else might Kyle be vulnerable if he doesn't win the race? How can he lose this race, David? Uh, restarts in a mm. word, I, I, 40% of Kyle Larson's restart attempts this season have come from the front row and from the front row, it's clean air, blue sky. A lot of folks are good restarters. Kyle Larson is a good restarter and it's that dynamic that is sort of driving his overall retention numbers right now, which are among the best, if not the best in the cup series. But while he's had an easier go of some of these double file restarts than most teams and drivers, the majority of teams have dealt with traffic and absurdity at times on some of these restarts. And at Phoenix, the dynamic tends to favor the drivers who are more daring. Larson 
if you watch him when he's deeper in traffic, is a fairly conservative restarter. The gains and losses are not big swings for him. Of course, he can make up for this because he's such a good long run passer uh, and he might be better suited for a short run Phoenix race than Chase Elliott. But, you know, there's a reason that Cliff Daniels over the radio seems to offer regular reassurance about a lot of Larson's restarts. Those are the vulnerable moments. Even when his restarting is textbook, uh, we think back uh, to Kansas for that. The restarts are smooth. They're precise. They're not crazy. And the crazy restart by someone else might be the thing that overcomes him this weekend. Something to think about if you are a fan of the five car. All right, that's Kyle Larson, likely the favorite. Let's move on to Denny Hamlin. Why is this Denny Hamlin's best chance to win a championship? Or is it? I mean, I I look at the speed, right? I mean, he's topped the 750 speed all year. Uh, We talked about last week how Denny has said they they were on the plane last year, David, flying to Phoenix, knowing they were so far behind the eight ball, knowing they didn't have, they didn't control their own destiny when it came to competing for a title. And the results showed it Uh, fourth place, I think, but really, you know, a distant fourth, a non-competitive fourth last year when going for the title. Is this Denny's best chance to win a championship? I, yes, absolutely. You summed it up perfectly. (laughs) It's, uh, it's so hilariously clear what this team's objective has been this season. It's to be good on playoff tracks and specifically this one. They ranked first in points scored at playoff tracks during the regular season. They are the fastest team right now in the playoffs Hmm. with a better average median lap ranking than Kyle Larson. It's as if they traded in what they did well last season for what we saw from them this season. And the course correction after that bad outing that you mentioned has been pretty perfect, I'll say, because they had the fastest car at Phoenix in the spring where Hamlin turned in a positive surplus passing value. That's not entirely a given for him. Long run passing might be his weakness. And he also, uh, in that race, retained position successfully on seven of eight restart attempts. And that is a great record given the volatility of Phoenix restarts. He's right where he wants to be. He he seems confident. I, I kind of believe him. And now it's just a matter of execution. All right. Now you mentioned all the speed he had. Yeah, he also had the fastest car at Phoenix back in the spring per median lap time, but he didn't win, David. So what happened there? And can you correct that? That's a weird question. Is it correctable, if you will? How do you correct a faster car that you already had? But how do you win with the <laughs> fastest car, right? You can't get more better. Or, you know, that sounds dumb, but you can't get better than the fastest car. But you can also lose with the fastest car. What What needs to happen? What didn't happen in the spring? Uh, be more better. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it was track position. Track position is where he lost and the track position could be better because if you break down what he did in that race, uh, he led 33 laps. 31 of those took place before and during the competition caution. That's early. Uh, shortly after that, Joey Logano got by him and it was Logano is the 22 team. This is why we thought that they would be so dangerous at Phoenix if they made the championship four. his pit crew proceeded to have three sub 13 second pit stops during that race compared to just one by Hamlin's crew. And by that point, um, the, the finally when, when Hamlin had that good pit stop, Martin Truex's speed 
had kicked in and Hamlin's car was no longer the fastest on the track. Truex had the fastest car of the final stage at Phoenix. Is it correctable? I think it's just a matter of controlling the track position. And I think that's what all of these teams are going to be going for because I think the method in which Logano contested that spring race should act as a uh, a blueprint for these four teams because he grabbed the early lead thanks in part to a restart and from there he really controlled the race he selected preferred groove every restart and one out often his pit crew did not fail him and ultimately he lost the lead to a very aggressive truex restart and that was it but before that clean air and a mistake free day was a great formula and was looking really good for Joey Logano up until that point. I think that's the goal, not just for Denny Hamlin, but for all of these guys. All right, Denny still chasing that champion. Let's move on to the still defending champion, Chase Elliott. Last year came into this race, uh, probably the favorite. This year, he may be the underdog of the four. Uh, how do we assess his year to date and his chances, David? Because when I look at the sheet, yeah, he's got some wins but nothing on an oval. And that seems like it might matter if you're trying to win an oval race, specifically for the championship. When I look at the stats at motorsportsanalytics.com, he is the slowest. The nine team is the slowest of the four on the 750 tracks. So how do you assess what he's done and what he can do on Sunday? Oh, I say we assess them as uh, two separate things entirely. Uh, Remember when we remarked uh, the schedule came out for this season that the expanded road course schedule would be a boon. And it turned out without the expanded road course schedule, he would be winless. He's underachieved this year to, to be blunt uh, based on several of his peripheral stats. He is the best long run passer among playoff drivers this year in the year of the long run. And somehow that could not translate to victories. He ranks fourth in median lap time across all tracks. He ranks second in average best lap time on 750 horsepower ovals, but still nothing. Last weekend at Martinsville, that was his team's biggest performance of the year. Uh, He turned the fastest lap. He ranked first in median. Based on the season, based on what we saw last week, this is Hendrick's fastest 750 team. But the results are not there. So I, I would I would hypothesize underdog, yes, but maybe the biggest room for growth. Okay, that's fair. You mentioned uh, his speed or performance, at least. How about passing? Because Elliot is the best passer among the four this season on the 750 tracks. So does that mean... He should root for long runs to use that passing ability. I mean, is that the path to a second championship? Is it that simple? No, it's not that simple. Uh, (laughs) It it depends on the track position uh, for him. Again, he's not a guy. He's fine on restarts, but he isn't throwing haymakers in those uh, two lap windows. He's just so well suited for long runs because of his efficient passing. But the initial track position on the start of a run dictates everything that comes after and it uh, increases or diminishes your ceiling for that run. If he's behind Larson and Hamlin, can he reel them in? 
Oh yeah. And he did get <laughs> it at Martinsville, but that kind of thing takes a lot of time. If he's out front, if he's near the front, and this is what did it for him last year, he controlled much of last year's finale from the front and strategy was sort of removed from the equation. So he was in a good spot. Now it's a matter of not letting that track position sink so much that it lowers the ceiling on what he's able to accomplish on long runs. There's going to be qualifying this weekend. There's going to be other cars. There's, there's more than four. So it, it is going to be tough. But for as good of a passer as he is, I'd still just rather have the spot, the the position that I need and not require him to flex his biggest muscle because for the bulk of last year's race, that's what happened. And that's how he won the championship. Mm, good stuff. Again, still defending. We'll see what he can do. If he can do it again, David, we're getting his second championship before the age of 26. We'll see what he does Sunday. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Finally, the favorite, Martin Truex Jr. Uh, This one is the most intriguing to me. Is he a favorite given that, look, he won Phoenix this year, right? I mean, what that's the point. of That's how you win the championship. You win at Phoenix. Martin Truex Jr. has done that this year. Now, I was trying to think about this. I'll bring you through my thinking. Phoenix was a long time ago. So I, I, what, what have you done for me lately, Martin? The last three 750 races on ovals, Martin Truex is fourth, seventh, and first. That's pretty good. So, uh, well, I still lean Larson or, I don't know, I'm trying to talk myself out of Larson. The numbers for Martin Truex Jr. at 750 ovals were good back in Phoenix, back in the spring, and they're pretty damn good now. Does that make him the favorite? We probably need to give him serious consideration uh, solely because of what he was able to do in the spring. But everything that you mentioned, yeah, it, it makes sense. I do have reservations. I noticed a lot of uh, question marks inflected in what you were saying, uh, and I understand why. It, it does seem that he's a step below Denny Hamlin in the Joe Gibbs racing hierarchy just in regards to what they're able to do this year on the racetrack. I think that was clear at Martinsville. Truex had the third fastest car. It's been clear in the playoffs as a whole. Some things took Truex out of the running, the speeding penalty at Darlington, jumping the restart at Richmond. He came back from that one, but those procedural mistakes have been costly. But if he's mistake-free, this isn't the guy that you want lingering around the front because a commonality in his four wins this year 
is that he had legitimate speed at the end of each of those races. He ranked as the fastest in the final stage in three of those four wins, uh, and he ranked as the fastest across the final 100 laps in the Martinsville spring race. So they've got a lot of speed on the 750. They've got a killer setup for Phoenix. They showed that. And if they tap into it and they're near the front, good luck beating them because Truex is uh, at or near the top of every restart metric. We talked about how conservative Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott are on restarts. Well, here's the opposite of that. Here's the pirate. <laughs> we, we, he'll he'll know his limitations, but he'll push the boundaries of a restart. And uh, and if that's the if that's the scene towards the end of the race, he's got a great shot. David, I don't make the rules. I just play by them. I say that to get into if Martin Truex Jr. wins the championship in a year where they were clearly focusing on 750 horsepower playoff tracks and not much else. How should we take that? Is that a hack of the system? Uh, hack. If, if, I mean, does it matter? I mean, we can't hate on a team for doing just that. If they do cater to that strength that it takes to win the championship, that's what you're supposed to do, right? I think of basketball. I mean, three-pointers get you more than two, so why not focus on getting threes? Uh, the idea is to win the championship, not be good everywhere. It's be good where you have to be. Is that fair? Yeah. And the words of uh, Avon Barksdale, the game is the game. Yeah. This is how Martin Turex's team chose to play it, so we should respect it. All of the decisions that NASCAR has made to this point, having a championship decided in the final 10 races and then turning that into a knockout playoff format, uh, the automatic passes for wins, uh, other results be damned, the splitting of the horsepower packages. When all of those choices are factored together, it fractures focus and it forces teams at a traditional disadvantage to do something else entirely. And given the advantages of Hendrick and Chevrolet with their engine program and their body. We talked about that last week on the pod. JGR couldn't improve traditionally in a year with, you know, what is essentially a spending cap. So this is the route that they chose. And because of that, Truex's team did really well by it. And they are dangerous players among the four in their own right. Martin Truex Jr. out of nowhere for a championship? I don't know. I can't wait to see and find out. So, David, we have covered the drivers. Let's talk about the track, the other player in this equation, Phoenix Raceway. Uh, is there any advantage to setting up for a long run versus a short run at this track? And I'll preface this conversation, long versus short, by saying just in the spring, doesn't mean anything, but in the spring race, David, there were 10 runs of 15 laps or fewer. To me, that seems like a lot. Uh, you know, I don't know what the, the tr historic trends are, but just if you want to look back one race, fifth, 10 runs of 15 laps or fewer, what do you set up for? What gives you more success? Great question. And if you want to make it even more confusing, go back and look at last year's finale when there were just four restarts uh, after the initial start, and it was largely wrong, long runs. The, the trend of this season says to worry about the long runs, but really, you should just do you. Bring the best car you got. If it's a long run car, there's your answer. If it's a short run car, same thing. And this is something I wrote about last week for NBC Sports. 
uh, it was in advance of Martinsville, but essentially how drivers should just play to their strengths. If you have a good pit crew and you're a good restarter, then you should be a short run team. And if you have a good strategist and a driver who can pass efficiently, you should be a long run team. The fact is we don't know for sure how this race will break, but most certainly it will break in a way that suits someone better than others. That's always the case. Uh, and again, if you're if you're wondering about the caution volume, it's been low all year. Don't let uh, l- last weekend's race at Martinsville skew your opinion. This will likely be a race heavy on long runs, especially that last stage, where a lot of track position is decided weirdly by the two lap restart windows. But if that's a scenario that doesn't suit your team at all or what you do well, then by all means, bet against it because then you'll be in position to win when the race breaks sort of odd from the norm. So that that's long versus short. How about the restarts? Again, if it is a short run race with many of them, uh, those restarts are going to matter big time, depending on uh, who's the front row and what skills you have. So what is the restart dynamic in terms of choosing, in terms of what's good? What should we know about Phoenix? You know, in terms of disparity, it's a relatively even restart dynamic. Uh, I looked across the last three races, all of them using this horsepower arrow package. Cars slotted in the inside groove retain a little bit better, but the comparison is 62.1% to 57.8%. In the spring race uh, this year specifically where PJ1 was applied to the outside groove, the inside retained more frequently, its occupants doing so 73.1% of the time compared to those restarting from the outside retaining 46.4% of the time. So that's something to keep an eye on is how that inside groove is really building out um, as this track materializes with this rules package. Now, the positional changes, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Last week, we spoke that uh, restarts at Martinsville were limited in this regard. That's not the case this week. The positional changes are, are going to be many compared to most tracks. Six of the top 14 spots see an average positional swing greater than 0.4 positions. Hmm. The inside of row five actually averages a loss of over one spot. That's probably the most volatile part here. Uh, In the spring race, there were only 11 gains of two or more spots out of a possible 112 tries within the top 14. The inverse, a little bit more damning, 25 instances of a multi-position loss within the top 14. So, Alan, it's as it should be. It should be harder to gain when you're near the front on a restart. But at Phoenix, it's twice as easy to lose. Hmm. And mind you, these cars are typically restarting near cars of relative speed. So monitor that. It might be an instance in which you just have a lot to lose with every single Phoenix restart. I love it. I love every restart because we can look at them through a different lens. Let's talk about speed because we look at speed charts all year. We analyze them. Motorsportsanalytics.com, 750 horsepower speed. Should we anticipate these four teams ranking as the four fastest cars? And again, I'll, I'll preface all my your answer to all these questions just with my some of my thoughts. Maybe they're not, the, to me, the, the fastest four, and you can tell me what, what will happen, but 
at least track position wise, I feel like every year that goes by with this format, there's more and more deference to the the four that are racing for the championship, where even if they may not be the fastest on track, they seem to be the four at the front of the, in terms of track position, right? One through four. Uh, it's rare that we see others now getting in the way. And I feel like, again, the deference has gotten more and more as this format has gone on in recent years. So tell me about speed and if we should anticipate that speed really mattering to uh, the final four. I think it'll matter. I think it will craft these four teams being the four fastest, really. If we look at 750 horsepower median lap rankings, Denny Hamlin ranks first in the series. Kyle Larson ranks second. Martin Truex ranks third. Chase Elliott ranks fifth. If we look at it, uh, just at the best lap ranking, uh, each driver's best lap at every 750 track, the average ranking is Denny Hamlin again in first, Chase Elliott second this time, Martin Truex third, Kyle Larson fifth. And I'll throw the Phoenix Spring Race in here just for kicks. Denny Hamlin ranked first in median lap time in that race. Martin Truex ranked fourth, Kyle Larson ranked fifth, Chase Elliott ranked ninth. I feel good betting on the idea of these four conglomerating those spots, those front running spots, and and maybe even in the timing and scoring, the top five spots in terms of median lap time, if not the top four. Uh, for one, they are already fast. Uh, second and most importantly, they're in a game to themselves. The winner among them will bank, eh, you know, seven to 10 million in purse, uh, maybe more given some sponsorship incentives. No one else in the field is as motivated. So- <laughs> There's your rationale. It makes sense at the onset. Please spare me your conspiracy theories. These four will be very fast on Sunday. And as you said, it's almost an inevitability at this point. They'll be at the four at the front of the field for pretty much the bulk of the race. I still think there's some deference. Whatever. No, but uh, let's get to it, David. We've talked about the drivers. We've talked about the track. Let's talk about our championship picks for, I guess, either the race winner champion. I assume the, the winner will be the, the winner of the race will be one of the championship four. So I will let you go first, David, the most important choice of the year, picking the potential champion for the 2021 season. Who do you have? The fastest car on 750s going into this race last year belonged to Chase Elliott, and I didn't pick him. In hindsight, that was dumb to go against that because when in doubt, you should just choose speed. So that's what I'm doing. Denny Hamlin wins this race Ooh. and the championship is uh, is my call. My spoiler to that is actually Chase Elliott because of that unclaimed speed potential that we talked about. But in general, this season... No one has had the kind of speed on playoff relevant 750s like Denny Hamlin. He was steadfast in his belief in his team all season long, even with his winless record thrown at him uh, during the regular season, not winning the regular season championship, uh, because frankly, none of that really mattered to the overall goal. Like it or not, this is how you game plan for a championship in modern day NASCAR. And to that end, his team, his crew chief, Chris Gabehart, They've done an exceptional job 
of preparing for this exact scenario. David, always thinking with his head, I will balance it out and do my dummy thing and think with my heart, David. I'm going with Kyle Larson. I mentioned it before, but what's really selling me is the improvement we saw from Team Hendrick last week in Martinsville, where they didn't have the race they wanted in the spring. They, I have to imagine they threw it all toward improvement for the second half of the year and coming back around to these tracks. I think that happens again in Phoenix. They didn't have the Phoenix race that they wanted in the spring, but I just think it is Kyle Larson's year. I know that's not exactly analytical, but if they can improve that much in Martinsville, I think they can do it at Phoenix as well. Larson is my pick. It's the year of Kyle Larson. What isn't he winning? I feel like I'd be foolish not to pick him for the championship as well. David, we're on opposite sides, and I like it. Well, it would make for good podcasting if we both agreed, uh, <laughs> but it it will be an interesting race. I legitimately Ooh, yeah. think this is the power for this year. Uh, you know, w- we said on yesterday's podcast that coming into the round of eight, uh, to me at least, there seemed that there was a clear top four. We're going to watch them do their thing on Sunday. So- I'm excited by that notion. Um, I don't lose too much sleep over what the championship format is. I like that there is this additional carrot dangled at the end of this race. And I'm eager to see how each of these four teams, because they've approached their seasons differently, how they approach this race. Um, It's all going to be fascinating. And it's the reason that we love NASCAR. Amen. It's going to be a good show. I look forward to it. And for all you listeners, I hope uh, this preview really gives you something to think about as you watch those cars make their final laps of 2021. It's been a fun season. Don't forget, we are available on all major podcast platforms. No matter your device, our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating or review. This stuff helps in spreading the word. We, of course, notice it is so appreciated. If you have any questions, even before Sunday, you listen to this, you want to hit us up on Twitter, reach out to us, man. Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, a lot of stuff to do before Sunday. What are you working on? What should we know? What should we read before the green flag drops? Yeah, this Sunday, make some time for yourself and read my Phoenix race preview. That will be posted on NBC Sports, uh, and it will look into what matters in the season finale. I will dive into some strategy, some track characteristics, uh, touch on some of the drivers, some of the restarting, other trends that might prove relevant. That will be on nascar.nbcsports.com. And make sure you set your fantasy lineup for the final time. NASCAR.com, Fantasy Live, myself and Amy Long, helping you win that fantasy title. Clearly, you got some uh, good information out of this podcast, and we will fill in more of the team strategy and youth strategy because there you have to start more than just the championship four on Sunday for your fantasy live team. We will fill you in and help you with some of that strategy as well. Hit up my Twitter, Facebook, Instagram accounts for all the good coverage heading into Sunday's race, and uh, let's keep the conversation going through the checkered flag. It has been an awesome season. We're not done. I'm not saying that, but I'm looking forward to Sunday's race. For David Smith, I am Alan Cavana. We will be right back here. Positive regression. See you soon.
Samira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.